as I was studying, the Lord just kind of gave uh, this psalm to me, and I really, boy, I had fun studying. It's, it, don't you love studying Scripture? It's so good to just get into the Word. And We're going to be in Psalm 3 tonight. Um, one of the great dangers that we face in times of spiritual attack is that the enemy tries to distract us. He tries to distract us from growing. He tries to distract us from maturing. And when we get into crisis, when we get into spiritual conflict, we get stressed and we start to worry and we start to feel overwhelmed. And if we don't respond to that by immediately getting into the presence of the Lord and pouring over His Word, what happens is we become more preoccupied with the pressure of the attack than we do with the power of God's presence. So, so it's up to us to determine how much are we going to feel. Now, Paul felt this in 2 Corinthians 10, and you don't have to turn to it, but there were some legalistic Jews that were kind of undermining his teaching, and they were saying that, that believers, the new believers, really needed to convert to Judaism too. They needed to be circumcised and, and obey the law, that, that for them really to be accepted into the body, that's what had to happen. And in doing that, they rejected the doctrine of justification. Justification is that God took our, Jesus took our sins on himself, and by dying and rising again, he declared us righteous. That when we trust in him, that he declares us to be righteous. So as, as Paul goes around, and he's teaching justification in these cities, he's getting hit, he's getting mocked, he's getting criticized. People are, are denying his authority to speak as an apostle. He, he's just getting ripped personally and that's how the enemy works a lot of times the enemy works through people right most of the time he works through people careless word a criticism uh, some undermining that has to happen and, and it's always accusing right it's always trying to create spiritual infection and and personal discouragement and and when Paul faced that and we're going to look at what David faces tonight it, it's easy right to kind of get depressed to, to think the worst, to kind of be defeated, and, and, and to have kind of a negative mindset creep into your heart. One of the dangers of spiritual conflict and one of the dangers of trials is that we see, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, through a glass darkly, right? I can look at that room back there. I know there's a room back there. I've been in that room a hundred times. I can see that there's a window in the door, and I can see through to the back wall of the building. But I can't see what's in that room right now. Now, if you turn on a light in there, what happens? I can tell that there are two couches and some toys for kids and a little speaker that we put in there for moms that have their kids in there. But, but right now, it's a glass darkly. That's how we see in trials sometimes. The trial hits, the difficulty hits, and we're starting to think, we're starting to panic, we're starting to worry, and, and we see a little sliver of light. Everybody turn around and look at it. We see a little sliver of light, right? But, but we can't tell what else is there. And our humanity says, I've got to do something about that. And, and the, the physiological and spiritual response is worry and fear and wonder and, and doubt and, and concern, things that are normative, right? It's not, it's not abnormal for Ray to be worried tonight about Aggie. It's not, it's, not, it's not abnormal. I'd be worried if it was my wife. But God wants us to see, not through a glass darkly, he wants us to see how faithful he is. And we know that. We know that. Ray knows that. Aggie knows that. But we have to constantly be reminded of it. Now, 
Look at Psalm 3 for a minute because if your Bible has those little, those little uh, summaries at the top of the, the chapter, right? You guys have those in your Bible? It says in my Bible, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, in Psalm 3, David is in an intensely, intensely personal time of crisis. His son Absalom has rebelled against him. He's trying to take over the kingdom that the Lord has put David over in perpetuity because he said, I'm going to establish an everlasting kingdom. So now David's literal kingdom, his physical kingdom in Israel, is being threatened by his own son. And this passage, these eight verses that we're going to look at just for a couple minutes, it sets up in three parts, okay? The first part is the, the visceral, emotional, and mental games of warfare, okay? When we're in warfare, when we're in crisis, there's a bunch of junk that's going on in our minds. And it's, and it's churning in there. It's churning. Second part that David gets to very quickly, as of verse 3, is the certainty of God's strength. As he's churning, as he's fearful, as he's doubting, immediately he goes to, well, here's what God can do. And out of that is part three. He feels overwhelming confidence as he experiences God come to his aid. All right? So the crisis is there. David's in it. It's visceral. It's emotional. It's physiological. It's spiritual. He's, his, his brain is churning. He's going on. And then he gets to God's strength and he's filled with overwhelming confidence. And in the last six verses of this, and I'll read them at the end, there are 14 different statements, 14 statements in six verses, where he says God immediately responds. And God is sufficient, and God will help, and God will minister, and God will fill me with confidence. Now, we're going to read it twice. I'm going to read it once from the NASB, and then I'm going to read it once in the New Living Translation, because the New Living kind of puts it in, in everyday language like we would say it now. Okay, so let's read it twice. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying in my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, and I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I'll not be afraid of tens thousands of people who've set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek, and you've shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing will be upon your people. Now, let me read it in the New Living. O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. But you, O oh Lord, you're a shield around me. You're my glory. You're the one who holds my head high. I cried to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, Yes, I, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O oh Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked, because victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Now, a couple thoughts tonight, all right? And I think this will encourage us. I think this will strengthen us, no matter if you're in crisis right now or everything is fantastic, all right? First thing we need to understand is the nature of the warfare, okay? The nature of the warfare, the, the emotional and mental challenges. 
Now, David's facing an uprising from his own son. He's having to defend his nation from his own sin. And if you look back at the verse, it says he feels overwhelmed. So many enemies. 2 Kings 15 says that almost the whole nation had turned on David. This, this faithful king, this, this one who had put Saul to shame, who had been a man of God, who had followed God's heart, now they've, they've all turned on him. Isn't it amazing how quick loyalty shift? How quickly that hurts us? And David now has to run from Jerusalem, literally doesn't have time to pack a suitcase. He has to get out of town. He's only got a very, 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 very small group of supporters. And there are so many things emotionally right now that he could be feeling. Angry at God. Now, I thought I had an eternal kingdom. What happened? Why aren't you defending me? Why is my lousy son turning on me? And then you turn into bitterness, right? And you get really despondent. And you start to wonder what's going to happen. And fear starts to creep in. And then when fear creeps in, you get depressed. And when you get depressed, you start to feel defeated. And you start to believe all these statements. Well, maybe he's done. Maybe, maybe his God isn't good enough. These are the real emotions that confront us when we're in crisis. They're the thoughts that get into our minds. And we have to know that those thoughts are not from the Holy Spirit. Those thoughts are not from the Spirit. The enemy is the only one who speaks doubt and speaks fatalism and speaks self-sufficiency. So when we're under assault like this, how do we pray? When the battle is sharp, and it's fierce, and it's right in our face. Like, you, you ever watch those old Civil War movies, right? Where the enemies stand like, you know, 25 feet apart, like here to that back wall, and they got their muskets, and they're all standing there, and you're like, no, you're not going to do that. Like, that's crazy. Like, you're all going to kill each other. And they're standing there, and the general's up on his horse, ready, and they're, they're aiming like this, and you're like, no, stop. Like, this is not going to go well. Aim! Everybody's like, it's about to happen. Fire. Boom, 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 boom. Muskets go off. People drop. That's what spiritual warfare is like. When it's right up in your face, when the battle's intense, when you know that victory has to happen, what do you do? Now, here's what I love about David. Look at verse 3. But you, but you, but you. David doesn't hesitate. Here's the second thought. He immediately puts his confidence directly on God's strength. He immediately puts his confidence directly on God's strength. Notice that every statement, starting in verse 3, every statement after he declares the problem in verses 1 and 2, it's only eight verses, so verses 1 and 2 tell you the problem. They tell you the potential doubt and David says every statement after that is completely centered on the nature, response, and sufficiency of the Lord. David never looks back. Once he says, but you, O Lord, it's not like, but, but Lord, I know, you're great, but, but I got a crisis. Let me revisit this again. How often do we revisit our problems? My enemies, they're all against me. Tens of thousands are around me. He says, you know what? But that doesn't matter. Because instead of getting hit by the mocking, instead of falling into to, to crisis because he questions God's help, instead of getting self-focused, David just starts rattling off truths about the Lord. Listen, it, I don't care how long you've been saved. I've been saved 43 years this summer. It doesn't matter. It's easy to forget this. 
And the enemy fights dirty, right? The, the dirty nature of spiritual warfare can catch us off guard so our first response may not be sanctified. Our first response may not be faith. And now that will definitely be true if you're not walking with the Lord. If you're not walking by the Spirit, if you're filling your heart with junk instead of the Holy Spirit, if you're filling your mind with junk instead of the Holy Spirit, when crisis hits, what's the first response? Oh, I got a problem. Rather than, oh, but you, oh Lord. But you, oh Lord. And I want you to notice the common threat. Just, just peruse through verses 3 to 8. Notice how he says the Lord's available. How many know he's our very present help in time of trouble? Oh, the Lord's available. We, we got a crisis tonight in our congregation. We're going to call on the Lord because he's our very present help in time of trouble. And he answers when we call. And David's so confident in the defense of God. Look at what he says. He says, you're a shield around me. You lift my head. Now, now I'm falling. You ever seen a person who's in despair? What do they do? They don't walk around going, they go, oh. What now? David says, here's what God does. Lift up my head. Look at Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. When your head's down, I can always tell when I'm tired as I do this. <sighs> like, like putting my head in my hands is going to solve the weight of the world, right? Oh, if, I rub, if I rub my forehead, maybe it'll take the tension away. God says, no, quit doing that. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Then he declares a truth that's so familiar to us. Oh, I want you to stop. Verse 4. Look at verse 4. I want you to take this in. I want to take this in tonight. He says, I cried to the Lord, and he did what? Tell me. He answered me from his holy mountain. At this point, David is emotionally wounded. He's scared. He's on the run. He's away from everything that's familiar, everything that is safe. There's no tabernacle. There's no ark. There's no friends. But notice in his loneliness and his discouragement, he finds strength in the Lord. And this is one of the greatest values of prayer, that when you're hurting, when you're lonely, you can always go to the Lord and find love. You can always go to the Lord and find peace. And strength, because he not only hears, the Lord hears, the Lord comes, those who call on his name. We quote those other verses. But, but David takes it a step further. He says, you answer. I was talking to Julie this afternoon, and she was on speaker at work, and the connection wasn't great, and we're talking along. And you know how it is, you can tell when you're talking, and the person's not talking back anymore. Like the line goes dead, and I'm going, I'm talking, and after about 10 seconds, I'm like, I don't think she's there anymore. And then all of a sudden, like 15 seconds later, I hear her pick up the speaker. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? I kept talking, and you weren't responding, and I kept wondering why. God never does that. You never pray, and God goes, I think I'll wait this one out. Let, let's see. I'll just I'll stand far off and see if Rhodes will keep praying. When we call, he comes near, and he answers. And that's not just to make us feel better, even though there's a measure of comfort, right? Look in verses 5 to 8 at the deeper, lasting effect that comes out of this truth. And I want to just highlight, and we're going to pray, I want to highlight four things, okay? Because the third thing David shows is the fearless certainty 
the fearless certainty that comes from trusting in the Lord. And I want us to see how this plays out. First of all, look at verse 5. David's heart and mind are at peace. You ever had those nights where you're just restless and your mind is so full of thoughts? Maybe something's really worrying you and you're just you're just churning, your mind's churning, your heart's churning, you're wondering what's going to happen, and you don't have any peace, and you're tossing and turning, and maybe you go to the kitchen like I do, and you think something to eat will make me feel better, and it never does. And maybe you're praying, but you're not really praying. You're just kind of saying words to God because it's not calming your heart at all. And you keep replaying the possible outcomes, and you're going over and over, and hours are passing, and you get on your phone, and then you lay it down, and you try to sleep, and nothing's happening. You're just not at peace. David's throne's being challenged. His own son is rebellion. He's in the wilderness. He's not at the palace, and he's still dealing, because this happens after the sin with Bathsheba. So he's still dealing with the ramifications of that, because that's what triggered all of this. Because everybody was upset with David after Bathsheba, and his son raped his daughter, and then his other son tried to defend and killed the son, and then Absalom gets all tight. So that's all a result of David's sin. So he's still dealing with the guilt, and that he really wasn't a very good father out of that. So you would think that sleep would be pretty elusive, right? Look at what he says in verse 5. I laid down and I slept and I awoke because the Lord sustains me. God never calls us to worry and fear. He only calls us to faith and peace. The water at the surface of our lives, it may be churning, it may be turbulent, it may be stormy. But he says, in the depths, it's still. Be still and know that I'm God. And it may be choppy on the surface, and there may be white caps in your life right now, but you know what? We've got to find that lower level, that, that below-the-surface level of faith where God meets us and God ministers to us. That's why James says, when you pray, don't pray like the top of the water. Don't pray like the waves. Pray with calmness and a quiet heart, not doubting one bit. So David says, I lay down and slept because he's at peace. Second, would you see in verse 6 that his heart and his mind were unafraid. He's literally got tens of thousands of people trying to kill him. He has no tangible defense. There's no way from a, from a military standpoint that David's going to win. So here's what he says. I'm not afraid of 10,000s of people who've set themselves around about me. Now, David's either crazy or he's got some heavenly resources. When you're struggling, when you're full of doubt, when you're overwhelmed, listen now, heaven is the place you've got to look. We know that. That's a basic truth of Christianity. But God's always ready. His grace is always sufficient. His strength is always enough. His armies are always powerful. And he's got reserves we don't know about. You remember, you remember the account in 2 Kings 6, one of my favorite accounts in the Bible, where Elisha's at Dothan. Remember that? And, and the king of Aram sends basically all his armies because Elisha 
by the Holy Spirit, has been listening into the King of Aram's conversations in his palace. And he's telling, here's what the King of Aram's going to do. King of Aram's going nuts. Like, how does he know? What is, what, is somebody a traitor? What's going on? And Elisha's in Dothan, and he's hanging out. And his servant looks out of the place that they're staying. And what happens? On all the hills around, there's, there's just armies and chariots and, and troops all surrounded. And, and the servant says, we're dead. And what's Elisha's prayer? Lord, show him what I'm seeing. Sh sh show him what I'm seeing. And the servant's eyes are open. What happens? There's chariots of fire and armies of God all surrounding those feeble troops, and God blinds the eyes of the Aramites, of the Arameans, and Elijah leads them back home. Remember, Elisha leads them back home, and they get, and God, and he says, open their eyes, and they're standing at home. They're like, wait a minute, what just happened? God has heavenly reserves for us, like he had heavenly reserves for Elisha and Dothan. And we've got to learn to let go of our fear, because fear is a subtle code word for control. Fear is a sutter cold word that, that, that I can't do this. No, we can't. We've got to have the heavenly armies of God are going to help us out because right now we don't know what the answer is going to be. All right? So there's peace, there's certainty. Third, verse 7, real quick, David knows the strength of the Lord is more than enough. What does he say? Arise and save me. And then look at these brash statements. Hit my enemies on the cheek and shatter the teeth of the wicked. You know, we talk so much and we hear so much that God's, God's loving and God's gentle. And, oh, he's so just, just tolerant, just whatever you want to do. God will accept you however it is. And he's not going to hold you accountable. Listen, God is unchanging. And there are definitely times when God goes after wickedness. And... David says, I need some holy justice right now. There's nothing PC. There is nothing PC about verse 7, right? I want you to whack my enemies in the face. I want you to break their teeth because they are wicked. Now, there is no question that God is loving and gracious, and he doesn't want anybody to die spiritually and go to hell, right? We know that the cross tells us that. But God also says, I'm holy, and I will deal with wickedness if you don't repent. And I will protect my people when they are under attack. So I want us to have that image tonight. That It's not like God's some crazy hockey player. It just shows how strong his defense is. So David says, all right, I got 10,000 armies around me, but I'm sleeping fine. I'm confident because, God, you're going to slap my enemies. You're going to beat my enemies. You're going to take care of this. And that leads to the last thing in verse 8, and we'll pray. David is sure of victory. This is not a statement of hope. Well, I hope God will come. I hope God will help me. I hope God will save me. He says, salvation, tell me the next four words belongs to the Lord. Now that hit me differently. I've studied that passage many times, but that hit me differently as I studied this because not only is salvation from the Lord, what does he do? It belongs to him. God owns it. There are no other contenders. There are no other challengers. There's no one else that has a uh, claim to be able to save, especially not us. It is the Lord's, and it's his alone. It belongs to him. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and Jesus secured it, and the Holy Spirit seals it. It's his. 
So David says, I got 10,000 people around me. My crazy son's trying to take me out of power. I got no friends, no resources, no ark. I can't go to the tabernacle and meet in your presence, God. But that's okay because I'm sleeping fine because you're my help and you're salva my salvation and I'm not afraid because you are going to hit my enemies because salvation belongs to you. And then look at the last phrase. And your blessing is on your people. If you want a great verse to take with you tonight, and I want to encourage you to memorize it, it's Isaiah 44.3. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The Lord is ready to do this, and he's willing to do this, and he will do it when we trust in him. David's situation was sad, and it was dire, and it seemed hopeless, but he wasn't going to believe the lies. Oh, oh, there's no deliverance for David. We got him now. He's dead meat. He's, his God's not going to help him. David says, um, he really couldn't be more wrong. And then he says, 14 truths. You're a shield. You are my glory. You hold my head high. You answer me when I call. You're holy. You wake me up in safety. You're watching over me. You deliver me from fear. You arise. You rescue me. You slap my enemies. You shatter their teeth. You have victory. And you bless your people. What's a common word? You, right? It's all you, Lord. This is your victory. And because of your victory, I have full confidence. And that's what stirs us to pray, guys. That's why we call on his name. Because he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never be insufficient. He'll never turn his back. He'll never let us down.